My name is Jill Phillips and I'm the creator of Who's Shoes, a popular approach to co-production. I was named as an HSJ100 wildcard and want to help give a voice to others talking about their ideas and experiences. I'll be chatting with people from all sorts of different perspectives, walking in their shoes. If you are interested in the future of healthcare and like to hear what other people think, or perhaps even contribute at some point, Whose Shoes Wildcard is for you. In the last podcast, I spoke to Rachel Tomlinson, a head teacher talking about the kind and inclusive approach that she uses at her primary school in Lancashire. Already it's proving to be one of the most popular episodes. I met Rachel through Yvonne Newbold. Rachel was a speaker at the Newbold Hope Conference. Well, today I have the privilege of talking to one of the parents who also spoke at this amazing event. Janina Vigers spoke from the heart about her experience of parenthood and what she's learned through this supportive community brought together by Yvonne Newbold. As I chatted to Janina and got to know her a little better, I found that we both share a love of storytelling and much more. I thought she would make an amazing podcast guest. So let's find out more. Welcome, Janina. Thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and what's important to you? Hello, Jill. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's a massive honour considering everyone else that you've had on to be amongst all of those names is really humbling. Thank you. So my name is Janina Vigers. I'm a professional storyteller, playmaker and general mucker abouter. So I work with children and young people primarily between the ages of about three and 11 years old. Although if we are being truthful, I believe there's a child within every single adult. It just gets hidden under layers and layers of routine and responsibility. And so I speak to the child within grown-ups too. I work with children and young people in schools and across educational settings Uh, but I also run birthday parties and I perform at corporate events and I perform at festivals as well like Cambridge Folk Festival and Glastonbury. I'm one of the Glastonbury storytellers in the kids field. The things that are important to me are inclusion. I believe that everybody, no matter who you are, where you've come from, everybody deserves the right to play and everyone deserves the right to be heard and has a a deep need to be included and to feel welcome at the table of play. And I include storytelling within play and not the other way around because the way that I do my storytelling, the way that I work, it's very playful, it's very inclusive. It's not a spectator sport. It's It's very active and not passive at all. That's an incredible start because... In terms of whose shoes and storytelling, obviously, the big part of my work is around people telling their lived experience stories, serious stories. But we use play and we use fun and we use playfulness like throughout our work. And I don't know whether you've seen the lemons on Twitter. I have. (laughs) And people say, what are the lemons? You know, why lemons? Where do they come from? And probably it's more interesting to have them as a bit of intrigue rather than the exact where the lemons came from. So I started with Who's Shoes back in 2008. And 
it was a board game. It looked like a board game. It's a tool. It's a facilitation tool. It's a co-production tool. But it is, like it or not, a game with little shoes and a dice. And then in 2009, along came the recession. And literally, people were saying to me, oh, well, you'll get nowhere if you call it a board game. You need to call it a learning development facilitation tool with lots and lots of management speak. And I never went there. And I've done stellar stories. I don't know if you've come across any of my stellar stories. And using fun, we've got the fundamentals of building a change platform with lemons. And it literally starts with children have fun. Why is it that we can't have fun as adults? What is it that knocks that out of people? So we are so on the same page, Janina. Oh, fantastic. Do you know, and that's been one of my most recent thoughts is how can I help grown-ups include play more in their lives, in their day-to-day lives, just in the mundanity of it all? Because you're never going to make time for something as silly and frivolous as play because there's no value in it. It doesn't make any money. It doesn't get your house cleaner any quicker. It doesn't get the (laughs) the Ocado order done any quicker but it's so vital for our well-being that I I honestly genuinely believe that there needs to be space for play within adults lives more and I think the people that actively work to include that live more fulfilled and happier lives and I think at our workshop I see some people perhaps didn't realise it was a board game and you can see a mixed reaction sometimes. And then, I mean, I know the very first session I did and there was a really senior guy and he started arguing about what, whether he got an extra turn if he threw a six. And, <laughs> you know, I saw him from literally leaning back in his chair with a suit thinking, you know, I'm going to be out of my comfort zone here to properly being in and chatting and being a character. And you just find things within people that need to be found don't you and then they talk to each other as equals and and it's fun yeah it's a real leveler it it absolutely is and it's interesting that and I get this a lot in schools as well sometimes children and indeed adults almost need permission to join in and permission to play permission to be a little bit louder or a little bit cheeky or a little bit raucous and when that permission's given and they kind of take it it's it's nothing short of beautiful yeah and I think as with my work if you're trying to do something serious alongside it so games in adult learning or co-production or whatever then when they come and they play together and then you create that atmosphere of being equals and actually we're all just people together then it's it's a bit of magic I think you've said that that you unlock something and then that's where the real conversations come because people trust each other and feel at ease together. I mean, some of the workshops and work that we've done around really sensitive topics, and to be honest, you know, you know, you do something for the first time and I've thought, hmm, is this appropriate? You know, ultimately it's a board game and a really, really not just serious but sensitive topic. Mm. And it just gives me so much joy when I hear laughter in that room <laughs> because those people with difficulties or whatever it might be we're all human beings together and the lightness that comes from laughing together and you mentioned something really exciting as we were starting that word laughter reminded me so what's going on for you so I've been approached by a charity wonderful charity called the laughter specialists and they are a team of clowns 
place specialists who do an awful lot of work in hospitals and healthcare settings. And they work to spread joy and laughter and silliness and fun amongst children uh, who are in awful situations that we as adults would never want or dream to be in. And for children, when they are receiving medical treatment, play is often way down the agenda. Obviously, their health has got to come first. But if children are playing and happy and finding small pockets of joy where they can, then I believe, and the charity believes, that their health will be improved because they'll feel better in themselves. And so the laughter specialists have approached me and we're having chats about how I can be involved with them and how I can help them spread the laughter bug. And I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you'll be amazing. I'm sure that will happen. And obviously the terrible, terrible things happening in Ukraine. I don't know whether you saw the clowns at the station. So exactly what you're saying, you know, these families and the mum can't imagine it with one bag packed for the family and on her own and perhaps with a couple of children with her and they come across a clown and the children and the mum are laughing. You know, for that (laughs) moment, everything else is forgotten because laughter is just so deep, isn't it? And so good for you. Oh, beautiful. Just incredible to see. So there's some nice video clips that I've seen. Coincidentally, tonight actually, I love the way threads are being woven, if you like, through the podcast series. So talking to Rachel Tomlinson, Last week, I mentioned Bob Kleber and his kindness sessions. There's one tonight. So by the time this podcast goes out, it will sadly have passed. But not for you, Yanina, if you're interested. They've got a laughter specialist talking tonight as their main speaker. I don't know any more about that. I've just seen it. I love Bob's sessions and I've seen six o'clock tonight. So I could send you the link to that. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> I will be there. <laughs> Oh, fabulous. And I think you'd love that whole community. And that's why I mentioned it with Rachel. Just as Rachel in her school is using kindness to reach the children and the adults, these kindness sessions, they're they're international sessions. They're pulling in the most amazing group of people who've got that in common, that they actually think that kindness in healthcare or in life or whatever it is, is the way forward. That's so wonderful. And I love your analogy about threads being woven because I think we've got enough weavings here (laughs) on our warp and weft to make a coat because something I don't think I've mentioned to you before is that a little personal side project that I started when I was a new mummy is a little project I call Relentless Kindness and it's where I have lots of tiny little two and a half inch by two and a half inch cards and it has Relentless Kindness on one side and on the other side I handwrite just motivational stuff and just encouraging quotes and I leave them in places for people who I will never meet to find in really ordinary places like amongst the value beans in a supermarket or you know in a car park pay station point and I've been doing that on and off for about seven years now really yeah uh, yeah and it's just a wonderful thing that's brought a lot of joy to my life and yeah, and we've got a lovely little Facebook community around that as well, about 300 people now. It's lovely. So local to me, I'm 
big, big fans of, and I'm not sure if they've had a mention it on the podcast series. They certainly deserve to. So Grapevine Coventry, and I don't know quite what they're doing at the moment. I'm a little bit out of touch. Some of these things obviously haven't happened in the same way the last couple of years, mm. but I've walked around the park in Coventry with them as a group, and we've had little like random acts of kindness and oh. little cards to give to people oh, and great. some of the children giving, you know, not just the children and the adults. And you see people react and there might be a, this is a bit weird initial reaction because you're actually going up and giving. And then they see what it is. and It's been like a little lavender sprig with a nice butterfly painted on it or, you know, just little things like crafty things that someone's obviously gone to a little bit of time and effort to make for them mm. and you see people smile and then perhaps have a little conversation and perhaps it just lightens everybody's day and Great. it's just lovely oh that's so sweet and also there's, there's science behind it it's not just a lovely woolly slightly hippie thing to do the acts of being mindfully kind to people obviously benefit the person that you're being kind to whether you you can see them or, or you know them or not but also it does something good in you as well. I don't know what brain hormones it releases, what chemicals it releases, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that dopamine is released, which is a pleasure-seeking hormone or brain chemical. And doing kind and good things makes you feel good too. So it's, it's backed by science, man. It's not just happiness. <laughs> and, and to see little children doing that, to learn mm. to actually have the pleasure of giving as well as receiving for all of us just like you're saying there's more pleasure really I think in like giving a present and finding something that you know will just be spot on with that person a little thing a, yeah. a nonsense thing you yeah. know yeah. It, it's good fun so I've realized that you're the second children's storyteller on the podcast series so I don't know if you came across it was an early episode Rachel Wong so she's a friend of mine and mm. she wrote children's stories with the children during the pandemic so incredible story that she wrote with the children in Middlesbrough and she was getting the children to write the next chapter so one day she was talking to them and then the next day she'd be basically writing up what they told her to write so if you haven't come across that episode you'll love that one I will find it out I am shocked and amazed I do not know who Rachel Wong is and I'm sorry Rachel if you're listening The writing world, the children's writing, storytelling writing world and the children's storytelling telling world are often two quite separate things. And we don't tend to mix or meet often, which is a sad thing, I think. But when people say to me, what do you do? And I say, I'm a I'm a storyteller. I think there's a little confusion as to what that actually is and what it looks like. So I tell folk and fairy tales from my culture, which is British, but also East European as well. That's where the Yadina part comes in. So I'm part Polish. And I tell them from memory. So there are no books. There are no props. There are no puppets. There's nothing. It's just me. (laughs) And I think sometimes when I do turn up at schools or corporate events, people are sometimes a little bit confused or disappointed maybe but they're certainly not by the end because I work to tell a story with the children I don't expect them to sit quietly and still and just listen to me rabbiting on and on and on and on and on 
know there are several ways in which I get them involved and I encourage them to help me tell the story and I tell a story with them they tell a story with me and together the story gets told and I love that because it means that I can have the same story that I might tell I don't know the magic porridge pot I might tell that five days in a row in five different settings and each time that story will be different it won't be exactly the same every time because there is that element of spontaneity that Rachel was obviously um, drawing out of the children with her work as well and that's that's magical and at the end of our sessions at the end of our time together I say well thank you so much I always thank them and I say this is the story that I've told you and that's the story that you can now tell someone else please take it it's yours this is my gift to you take it run with it go and give it to somebody else and I encourage them to become storytellers too I absolutely love it. Now, you must promise me, and if necessary, I could link you up. I'm so excited. I'm imagining this conversation between you and Rachel Wong because you're so in tune with each other with that. And separately from that, Rachel's messaged me and told me about an event. I think it's on for the whole of April in Birmingham, and I'm hoping to go tomorrow. And it's Ukrainian storytellers. And incredible I think some people that she knows in Birmingham and helping them tell the story of their families in Ukraine at the moment and through an art exhibition photos stories Mm. and so on I I should know more about it I don't know more about it because I haven't been yet but in the power of storytelling I think it's given people some students that came over as I understand and obviously separated from their families Mm. desperately worried about what's happening at home it's given people purpose to try and share some of that it's really important and it is really really powerful medicine whenever you go through something uh, just really enormously life-changing and you see it a lot in new mums new mothers desperate to they will tell their birth story (laughs) if they know that you're pregnant they will tell you their birth story (laughs) even if you don't want to hear it is there's just that need to to be heard and what Rachel's involved with I think is just just phenomenal I've been lucky enough to be involved with international group of storytellers called the world storytelling cafe online started at the beginning of the first lockdown we came together and storytellers are very well connected people obviously we're peoply people and so we collect other storytellers as we go along we make good alliances and good friendships so my good friend John Rowe who is a master storyteller and my mentor helped set this up with the World Storytelling Cafe which is a an actual place in Morocco because Moroccan storytelling is it's a very rich culture and yeah so we gathered lots of storytellers from absolutely all across the globe and we come together, we're still doing it weekly over various sessions online through the World Storytelling Cafe website. And yeah, it's operated via Zoom, so you can hop in and come and join us live. And there is a digital hat where you can, if listeners feel so desired to, they can drop some digital notes and coins in the digital hat, and that gets shared out throughout the, the, the tellers that are telling on that particular day. But yeah, we did have a Ukrainian special where we managed to get hold of some Ukrainian tellers to share their stories as well, their folk and fairy tales. And that was just wonderful. Incredible. Really incredible. Mm. So now I want to go off and join the World Storytelling Cafe. (laughs) 
because <laughs> it just sounds really good fun. And similarly, Bob Kleber's sessions, the kindness sessions I mentioned, Great. a proper international audience and people yeah. getting up in obviously Australia and New Zealand at three, four in the morning to join these sessions because people are just so keen to come together and share. They are, yeah. The power of hearing a good story well told is wonderful. So I love, I'm a big radio listener. I'm a big radio fan. I listen to Radio 4 a lot. And if somebody is telling something or talking on a subject matter with knowledge and passion, it's absolutely fascinating. I listened to a 30-minute documentary a couple of years ago about dust on Radio 4. It was brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Because it was told well and told with passion and told with knowledge. And like you said, if something is told with lightness and first-hand experience and from the heart, it's an incredibly powerful learning tool. And so just trying to bring this full circle before I go off on another tangent again, like I'm prone to doing. Um, the, uh, <laughs> We're um, dangerous together. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I know a previous podcast guest of yours who's put together the library of stories for NHS clinicians to access, I think is just a brilliant, brilliant, wonderful resource. And I think that the learning that could come from that will far exceed anything that you could learn on a a formally qualified education course. Oh, yes. Miles Sibley and the work he's doing around patient experience library. I think that's who you mean. Yeah, that's the one. And honestly, I'm just hoping that that podcast can be so influential because just like you're saying, it's research-based, that storytelling is not just important and a good thing and enjoyable. He's using evidence to and research to try and get patient stories and even that word patient stories up to the same level of acceptance and recognition and importance as medical stories or actually they're called medical reports and the whole mismatch of language in terms of as a clinician I report a serious incident or I write a medical report but you come up with a complaint or a patient story or something a bit anecdotal and I just found talking to Miles blew me away really just so fascinating that he not only has collected, I think it's 70,000 documents in his library. Wow. Yeah, but could just talk with such knowledge about how important they are. And things like if an organisation that's collected patient stories or patient information closes, the lack of priority to actually hang on to all of that information as evidence and how that feeds into these sadly regular tragedies that are happening in the NHS because because what because people aren't listening because they're not being heard telling their experiences wow yes (laughs) I agree (laughs) with you wholeheartedly absolutely and the unbalancedness of the weight of value that's put on on those those experiences using different types of languages is you're absolutely right a report I feel is seen as way more serious and important than uh, a patient experience yeah so language is vital and that's been a theme that runs through I mean not just the podcast series but everything I do really Mm. that language and getting people to understand the power of words and using that word rather than a different word it's not just semantics it it's important so in terms of your own 
journey, if you like, because that's how we've connected and come together. What What is there that you'd like to tell the, the listeners about that? Yeah, so another hat that I wear, and in fact, the most important and wonderful and flamboyant hat that I wear is that I'm a mummy. I'm a mummy to a brilliant eight-year-old girl who in December 2020 was diagnosed as autistic. And when I tell people that, um, I generally get the the sorry face, the pitiful, oh, sorry about that face. But actually, the diagnosis was a brilliant thing for us because it gave us access. It gave us the key to the right toolbox so that we could open that toolbox and use those tools inside to support her. And a wonderful toolbox that doesn't actually need a key at all is one that's provided by New Bold Hope and throughout lockdown our experience of of our daughter's behavior was pretty brutal and quite ugly at times and we experienced a, obviously uh, lockdown was was hard for a lot of people but when you're when you're eight and you're told that you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't see this person and you can't see that person that you love either. And then you're autistic as well, but you don't realise you're autistic because you haven't got a diagnosis yet and your parents don't realise what's going on with you entirely. It's, um, yeah, it's a cocktail for explosive behaviour on her side and, and on ours as well. So it, it was a really tough time and... I turned to Facebook to distract myself, but in the distraction, I managed to somehow find New Bold Hope, who offered me a, a lifeline, really, and offered me answers and ways of approaching her and the behaviour that she was displaying. And it offered me a uh, like a translation phrase book. You know when you go on holiday and you pick up a phrase book of, common common uh, phrases to use to help you through your holiday there in this foreign country uh, yeah so Yvonne and her charity offered me a different way of looking at my daughter's behavior and I realized that actually when I listened to what my daughter was telling me through her uh, her you know her violence and her destruction and through her repetitive stims that she would do where she would hurt herself once I learned to really listen to that with new ears then life became a billion times better and uh, we were able to understand what she was going through and and understand that actually you know she she wasn't being destructive and um, violent because she was a bad person she was in deep distress and utterly terrified and once I I learned to listen to her language yeah things became a billion times better and we I was able to approach her with more compassion and more patience and more understanding and also towards myself as well and I could understand that actually I wasn't just a bad mum I was a I was a mum going through an incredibly difficult time, and so that's why I wasn't able to deal with my child in the pandemic and keep on top of my work life and keep on top of the house all at the same time. Because, yeah, it was it was flipping hard. The work that Yvonne Newbold does is phenomenal, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
I know the love at that conference and you think of obviously all the healthcare professionals trying to help families and the pressure and the systems and the protocols and somehow Yvonne's just gone as a parent straight from the heart to the heart don't blame yourself aware of what that feels like and societal blame and just taking stripping everything back to just humanity really and being kind to your child and yourself but understanding really deeply understanding mm. and then I mean you've used the word a billion times better it's an incredible tribute isn't it to Yvonne and people are saying that over and over and over and she's like the most humble person I know but we need to give that massive shout out to Yvonne Newbold and Newbold Hope and she works so incredibly hard as well. I honestly don't know how she does it. It's She's just flabbergasted. I'm just absolutely floored. And the, the energy and the time that she puts into even things like replying to people on Facebook, Facebook comments, and she doesn't have to, but she does. You know, She does, yeah. It's just incredible. And not just a quick email, you know. No, no. <laughs> I think we've all got the same experience. And I know I've attended because I'm a friend and because I'm interested in what she does and learning more and so on. I've, I've attended one or two of her webinars and she's replying at three in the morning to people and she's promised to answer different questions and she's not just answering them sometimes. She's putting that time and effort in until it's done. Mm. Every single time she's nothing if not consistent. <laughs> <laughs> so enough of that because Yvonne will tell us off. For oh, she will, yes. We're putting her in the spotlight. That, <laughs> that won't do. I think... The other thing that really struck me from what you said, Yanina, is this experience of all of us, but children during lockdown, those youngsters who are just learning about life and who've had a chance to, depending on exactly what age they are, that bit's being just stripped away. I think your daughter must have been at a particularly difficult age, do you think? I'm sure it's different for all age groups. but Yeah, so at the beginning of lockdown, so she was... Oh, she was six. Yeah. And year or two into school. Yeah. Friends. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, just starting to form strong friendship bonds. And yeah, it's, and just all of that, everything was taken away. And we're unfortunate the fact that all of our family is flung far and wide. So we don't have parents or grandparents just up the road that we can just wander up and go and see nanny for the afternoon we don't have that and so uh, yeah we felt particularly isolated and then with her her undiagnosed autism as well it's um yeah that was incredibly lonely time so I hope now that children do get the priority and the support that they need for whatever whether it's mental health problems or just developmental in terms of when they say that lockdown dogs a lot of people have obviously had dogs during lockdown weren't able to go to any kind of training classes and weren't able to just meet other dogs in the park so it's a very specific problem there but what about the children and what about where they happen to be in their development mm -hmm. and then it just came down like an axe didn't it kind of cutting off all of that okay. and even if you had the local granny and you know unless you were actually in a bubble you weren't able to see local family either. No, no, which possibly was was almost worse, I think, for those people, you know, in that situation. At least I was able to say, well, Nanny and Granddad live three hours away, so we can't go and see them, sorry. Yeah, I've noticed that I, I run a lot of birthday parties as well. 
And uh, now that we are allowed to go back and have birthday parties in village halls and and things like that, I've noticed a change in children's behaviour. So they are generally a lot more raucous and a lot more rowdy. And I have to do a lot more crowd control and okay look we're going to have a good time and this is how we're going to have a good time we're going to look after ourselves we're going to look after each other and I really had to I have to now make those boundaries very clear and set those expectations because otherwise it can just get a little bit too crazy and people end up not having such a fun time Um, yeah yeah yeah. but I've never had to do that before and that's been a marked difference that I've noticed. Yeah. Fascinating perspective. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. that people in these different roles are noticing things like that, isn't it? Because otherwise yeah. you wouldn't know. No, no, absolutely not. So, Yanina, I found that absolutely fascinating. So many different and new aspects bringing new ideas and concepts really into the podcast series. So, I'm sure that. A lot of podcast listeners will be thinking, well, who is this Yanina Figures and where do I contact her and how do I find out more? And obviously I can include a link or two in the the program notes for the the episode as well. What would you like to say? Oh, thank you so much. So I'm I'm fairly certain I'm the only Yanina Figures in the world, (laughs) if not in the UK. So if you want to find out more about my storytelling work, you can find me at www.yaninavigas.com. And uh, the spelling of that, I'm sure, will be in the podcast title. That's right. <laughs> um, because it's spelt with a J, not with a Y, because I have awkward Polish <laughs> spelling there. But also I'm on Facebook really actively and Instagram as well, both at Yanina Vigas Storytelling. Um, I don't do Twitter. I should do, but I think I we just, need you on Twitter. I, I think, just don't uh, have the time at the moment. My goodness, <laughs> I'd never be off my phone if I was on Twitter. Goodness me! I have been told that I come with a health warning that you don't come near Jill without ending up on Twitter. So oh, I could make that no. a personal challenge. <laughs> oh goodness yeah. me! It sounds kind of inevitable, doesn't it? <laughs> Well, thank you, Yanina. It's been lovely talking to you. Good luck with all you're doing, and particularly the laughter specialist, because it sounds as if that's now and it's exciting and it will make a lot of difference to a lot of children and I'm sure adults as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been a complete joy talking to you, Jill. Thank you. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. If so, please subscribe now to hear more of these fascinating conversations on your favourite podcast platform. And please leave a review. I tweet as whose shoes. Thank you for being on this journey with me. And let's hope that together we can make a difference.